remind us that our salvation is never in our own hands. Amen? And that is good news. It rests firmly and solely in the work of Christ. And so each week we take this meal, as Jesus told us to, to be reminded. To be reminded that indeed he gave himself for us. So I want you to look at your elements there. And I know it's, it's, it's weird COVID elements. I get it. But I want, you to, I want you to look beyond that. I want you to see the love of Christ. I want you to hear the scripture saying, this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. While we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, that while we were still sinners, we haven't, we haven't earned it, and yet he gave himself. So whatever you got going on, whatever you are believing about yourself or wondering, could you be loved, could you be saved, this stands as, as a firm, firm promise that indeed he is enough, his sacrifice is enough, and he invites you to come. So if you're new, if you're visiting, if you're not a Christian, this meal is, is honestly, it's not for you, but we would invite you to come and, and, and lean into the goodness of Jesus and perhaps receive it as a follower today for the first time, but you need to understand you're repenting and trusting in him and let your heart rejoice. So Christian, take that, take that wafer, take that bread, break it before you eat it. And remember, this is Christ's body broken for you. And then likewise, as you have the cup, and as Jesus was with his disciples, he directed their attention there as he poured the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. This will be the blood of the new covenant. This is where our hope is anchored. This is the, the blood that brings the forgiveness of our sins, the blood that paid the price, endured the wrath of God. This is where our hope lies. Church, this is a meal that anchors our hope. This is a meal that anchors our community. As we look around at, at who is, is here with us, um, the church transcends race, it transcends age, socioeconomic background, it transcends race, all of that, all that our world is so diligently striving to sort out. Communion reminds us that in Jesus, those walls are broken down. So kiddos, you guys can go, you guys can head off to, to Journey Kids. And as they do, church, take a look around. Be encouraged that this is the family of God, that this is who brought us, God has brought together. You may not know everybody. You may not have met everyone yet. You may have issues with somebody in here, but rejoice that the gospel is our hope. The gospel brings us together and brings us a unity. Let's turn to Acts chapter 17 for our time in in God's word today, Acts chapter 17. And I would encourage you to actually look at the scriptures, whether that's on a device or one of these old school things that opens and has pages in it. Acts 17. Let's look at this together. I want to read it. I want you to, to, to hear it. And then um, we'll ask for God's help as we dive into it. Acts 17, we're going we're gonna to start reading in verse 22, and it says this. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And all of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again on this. So Paul went out from their midst, and, but some men joined him and believed, and among whom also were Dionysius and the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, would you, uh, would you just, by your grace, offer us, give us, Father, move in us hearts and ears to receive your word, to be transformed, Lord, to be um, just challenged and renewed and anchored further in our hope so that we may be sent out as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors for your kingdom, declaring hope is found here. Salvation and all that our world is so desperately searching for is found here. We need to be that. Our world needs us to be that, but we can't do that on our own. We can't do that based on our own merits. And so we need your word. We need you. We need your spirit to shape us, to change us, to embolden us, to forgive us, to heal us. All of those things, Lord, we look to you and we believe your word is capable. So we just submit to it and we ask for your help. I ask that you would use me to that end, Lord. Um, for your glory, speak to us through your word. We ask all these things in your name now. Amen. All right, well, we are uh, sort of in between series, but we're doing a, a series on our mission statement, our tagline, if you will. Uh, the journey, it's, it's there behind me. Love God, connect people, and transform the world. That sort of sums up uh, our hope. And so we talked about love God and then transform the world. Well, connect people is going to be next week, and that's due to my COVID uh, situation, so we had to move that to the back. But nonetheless, it, it, the order is not important. Uh, it's holistically all tied to um, our relationship with Jesus, right? And, and loving God, being known by his people, and then being sent on mission uh, into the world to have redemptive relational ministry with people in our world. And so uh, that, that's what we want to do. And then we're going to dive into Daniel 
um, in February, and, and that is going to, I think, be really timely and appropriate as we look at, um, you know, changes in our world and our country and how do we remain faithful in uh, an unfaithful culture? How do we remain faithful in the midst of the culture sweeping in a progressive and, and often sinful direction? What, what does God call us to do? And so Daniel is going to be really, really good. We're going to set in that for several months. And so that's the plan. Uh, but in the, in, right now, we're, we're looking at this mission statement and, and um, and so last week we talked about transform the world within the context of the sanctity of life, and there's a lot of overlap there. There was just a specific focus on that very urgent and very um, important need for us as Christians to act based on that urgency of sanctity of human life. So if you, if you didn't get to um, attend or listen, I would encourage you to do that. But today we're, we're just going gonna to look at transform the world part two, and, and normally this is the part of the the series, um, so we do this series every year, and we, we look at different passages, but kind of preaching the same message, and sometimes in the fall, sometimes right here in January, and normally this is the part of the series where we talk about, hey, you need to be on mission as you go, right? Because so often what we think about when we think, okay, I need to be on mission, or I need to share the gospel, we think about, okay, I need to go on a trip, right? Or I need to uh, do this, you know, particular Thing. I, need to, I need to start a ministry and serve there, and it looks like this. But, but in reality, that, that whole, you know, make disciples and, and go into all the world, that's really this, this participle that is more about as you go. So we, we think, yes, we need to go. We need to be sent. We need to have those trips. We need to have that intentionality. But honestly, what really advances the kingdom of God is when his people are intentional about making disciples as they go, meaning as you do your life, you are making disciples, right? So as you go to your job, you're making disciples. As you raise your kids, you're making disciples. As you interact with even your spouse, we're making disciples. As we uh, talk to our neighbors, which you should do. It's a lost art, but, um, and, and I know it's, it's terrifying, and, but you should. You talk to your neighbors. You should engage with people, say hi to people. Like As you do all of that, you should make disciples, and, and that's helpful. It's, it's been so helpful for me. It's um, one of the lessons that I, I learned from our founding pastor, Darren Patrick, and it's been so helpful for me as a part of the journey is to, is to really look at it that way. Is it's, it, because if not, we tend to think of discipleship or evangelism as something we got to add to our schedule, and i gotta make it, I gotta, I got to fit it in, right? Well, it, it's helpful if you just start looking at everything you do as an opportunity for discipleship, right? So you're going to have some meals, hopefully, Right, with your family. Well, could you invite somebody to join you for those meals, right? You're already doing that. You're not to schedule something new in, right? Maybe you've got to clean the house before they come, right? You know, that whole deal. But, which you actually shouldn't have to. You should let people see your real, anyway, that's another sermon. But, but so yeah, you know, you, are you going to go to lunch? Are you going to stop by McDonald's and, and get a soda or Starbucks and get a coffee? Are you going to go to the gym? Okay, can you say hi to the people? That, all of that, that's just normally what we talk about. But I, I think we gotta, we got to look a little more intentionally at where we're at because this cultural moment has got us super divided and super triggered, right? Like I have, I've seen more division in, within the, you know, evangelical world this year, and not that I'm this old man that has all these years of, of, you know, experience, but like, it's crazy. I've seen more in this last year, more division, more, um, more cutting down, more turning on people. I've seen people turn on faithful preachers and ministers who have been really helpful, um, leading voices in evangelicalism have totally been called Marxists and socialists and lost credibility. And all, there's been all sorts of just crazy stuff. Honestly, I've, I've listened to people that I, that I look up to, and I've been disappointed by what they have said about things that have gone on. And here's what I also know. I've disappointed you. 
right? Because I've challenged you and I've spoken the word and maybe, maybe wrongly or maybe rightly, but I, I know from conversations, I've disappointed some of you as we've waded through these d- d- really divisive times. And so w- what I think we have to do, if we're going to talk about relational ministry and loving people, we have to continue to diffuse this idea of them, because that's, that's the narrative that, that our world is perpetuating. That's the job of the news. And that's the job of politics, honestly, right? Is to, is to make you believe that there is a danger out there. There is a threat to your well-being, to your prosperity, to your livelihood. And it is them. Now, them takes all sorts of different forms depending on where you are. Your phone has learned where you are. I don't know if you've researched that whole deal, right, or heard about the social dilemma, but your phone knows what you're going to scroll on what you're, or what you're going to stop scrolling and, and look into and what, what's going to entertain you. And if it's this, then they're going to send you more of that, right? If you're in this party and you're, you're in this, you read that article, oh boy, they're going to send you some more of that. It's crazy to think about, but that's, again, that's another sermon. But, but, but wherever you sit from a worldview, from a ideology standpoint, Somebody is creating a them for you to think is the issue. And so what happens when, when that's the case, when, 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 we're, when we're, we, we lose, we as Christians, okay, because we should, we should respond differently to all this. And what happens when we believe that narrative and when we are shaped by that, we lose out on two fronts. First of all, we're, we start believing that that battle is happening, you know, in this macro level, in this, you know, uh, world of poly- whatever, and in reality, we don't have a lot of influence there, and so we spend a whole lot of energy with very little impact, so we kind of lose out on that front, and then secondly, we lose out because the people, and the people that we actually do have influence over, we forget, we forget to get to them. We forget to love them. You know what I'm saying? Because if we're too busy fighting them, Whoever them is, we spend all our energy reading and watching and, and you know, fussing on social media about them, then we can very easily forget to love and disciple and lead the people very, like, that we actually have influence over, like our family, our friend, the people we work with, the people in our area. And listen, when we spend all our time fighting them, Satan wins. We as God's people, we, listen, this is good news, church. I'm not saying you're not concerned, but we are not fearful, and we are not fretful, and we are not terrified about what's to come. Because here's the deal, church. We're built for this. Not the journey. The people of God, we are built for this. Whatever this, whatever's coming, we are built for this. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, we have the hope that the world is searching for. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have a savior that brings fulfillment to all of our long. We have that good news. We have the gospel truth. We have hope. So we don't need to start thinking that God has somehow fell asleep or nodded off and, and, you know, and he's you know, trying to get this thing back on the rails. No, he's sovereign over what is happening. And there may indeed be some passive judgment on our country. And we'll look at that a little bit more when we get into Daniel. But that doesn't mean that we just freak out and bunker down and you know, lob some laments out into the culture and, you know, and just kind of stay away so we don't get hurt. No, no, no. We, act, we stand tall. We stand firm. And we say, hey, hey, people, world, you're looking in the wrong place. We have 
Its name is Jesus. So we're built for that. This is what Paul says. This is our first, this is what I want to take from you. We're going to look at Paul's approach here just a little bit. From a very, it's going to be very quick, and there's a lot to unpack in this passage and, and a lot of angles we could look at and the philosophy and all that's going on, but we're going to try to take an overview and just pull out a few principles from Paul as we engage with people, right? And not platforms and ideas, but people and actually do ministry in that way. But the first thing we need to know is that God is sovereign over us being here in this moment, in this year, in this time. It says it right there in verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth and having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. What does that mean? It's not an accident that you were born when you were born. It's not an accident that you're here where you are in this moment in history. You understand that? Students, you understand it's not an accident that you are in junior high, high school, college in 2021. During a pandemic. Doing remote learning. World's fussing at each other. It's not an accident. Parents, it's not an accident that you're their parents. People, it's not an accident that you are alive during this, this day and age. It's, it, God has is, is not lost control. He is indeed sovereign over this, and he placed us, you, me, all of us here for a purpose, for a reason. Why? So that people could hear about Jesus. Right? That's what he says, verse 27. He put us here, right? You have been, if you're here and you're a Christian, You've been led to the Lord, right? right? Like he put somebody in your path. He put somebody like God moved me to Pope County down in the hills on a cattle farm when I was five. You know what he did with that? A few months later, he sent two men from a little bitty missionary Baptist church down the road to come and knock on our door and invite, my fam- my, invite me and my mom to Bible school. And you know what? Through that, I came to know Jesus. It didn't happen immediately. But through that series of events, God came to get me. He pursued me. He found me. Okay, Your story looks different, but he put people in your place, in your path, and at the right time to introduce you to Jesus, right? Well, here's the deal. He's not done bringing people to faith. He's not done advancing his kingdom, right? And so just like a man named Paul Sellers and, and Rip, oh, I'm forgetting Rip's last name, but Jackson, Rip Jackson, just like they, they were put there to go around and invite people. Like, I'm talking, the next house was like five miles down the road, right, from, from where I was. They're, they're knocking on these doors, inviting Like, they were used to bring me into faith. Like, praise God for them. Here's the deal. He's putting people in your path to bring them to faith. In your space, and he wants to use you to bring them to faith. Hey, so it's not that God doesn't concern, is not concerned about the direction of our country. He absolutely is. There is absolutely an impact to elections and to policy and the way that it plays out. So absolutely, it impacts people that he loves, so he absolutely cares. But his strategy, his, his um, plan A for bringing remedy is the church, and it's the gospel. And so we need to be reminded of that, and we need to learn to engage with people, souls, not them, not primarily ideologies, not those sorts of things, right? So I want to talk about how do we get in with people, and I want to say real quick before I forget, I do not mean to say, because what we're going to talk about is, hey, how do we start having conversations with actual people, 
right? Not some talking head on the TV, not some person that posted on Facebook, but how do we actually have conversations with people and how do we bring the gospel to them and how do we, do, how do we be faithful here in this moment? But I want to say before I do, I don't mean to say that, that engaging at a macro level with civic, you know, government processes is wrong, okay? Like, I'm going to assume that, that you are doing that, that you are appropriately engaging with the government, that you are, that you are, are voting, that you are talking to your representatives, that you are, are using those things. And listen, if you get a platform to talk to the president or to the governor or, or you know, to the whole world, use it. Don't be like, well, no, Jordan said I need to really focus on people that were like right in front of me and so I can't talk to you. No, no, like use it, right? But here's the reality. Most of us aren't doing that. We're not going to get that opportunity. Now, you can throw your voice into the noise, you could add to the provoking Facebook, like if you want to follow the comments on your controversial post and, you know, try to argue or, or mend all the, you know, relationships you break whenever you do, like, all right, I mean, you can do that, but you should probably consider its effectiveness. And so I want to say, like, yes, engage in, and Christians should engage in government. It should become people that are in politics. Absolutely, we need more of God's people rightly engaging in those things. So I don't want to make you feel like that's, that's wrong. However, it should not be primary. It should not be our sole focus because what the majority of us, are, we're going to have minimal opportunities to engage there, but we're going to have a whole lot of opportunities to engage with actual people face-to-face. So I want to uh, just draw a few observations out of what Paul did here at this famous interaction uh, at the Areopagus, which is also called Mars Hill. And so maybe you've heard that, that, that um, language or a church named after that or whatever, but this is a, a famous engage or engagement from Paul when he is on mission. He's not, he didn't go to Athens to do ministry. He was actually waiting on people to come and meet him so he could go elsewhere. But while he's waiting, it says in verse 16 that Paul is provoked. Now, everybody's provoked nowadays, aren't they? Right? And so I, one of my points is going to be that we should be provoked, but we need to be provoked about the right things and in the right way. But I want you to see what, what verse 16, we didn't read that in our reading, but I want you to look at it with me. And, and now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Well, what, is, what does that mean? Paul is observing the world. He's observing this, this particular part of the world in Athens. And there's all sorts of, there's Stoic philosophers and, and Epicurean philosophers and, and all sorts of different ideologies. And they, and they had a, a culture where they sort of, uh, you know, put all that out there in this public forum for people to hear, and it was sort of entertainment and also just kind of worldview shape. It values. It all happened instead of, you know, on news stations and, you know, different channel networks. It was happening in this very, you know, place in this city. And so Paul's observing this, and he's observing the people being impacted by this, and it says that Paul was provoked. But as we're going to see, that doesn't mean that Paul, you know, puffs up his chest and goes and tells them all how dumb they are, right? And he doesn't begin to just tear them down as idiots who have no clue and are trying to destroy the country. It's not his approach. In fact, he's going to be talking about reasoning with them and perceiving. Okay, and we're going to get to that. But here's before, before we go there, I, I need you to be provoked in the right way. I need you to observe the right things and then be provoked in the right way. I, I think Paul's provoking is, is, is more akin, not to the, you know, trolls on social media that, that are provoked, right? But more along the lines of Jesus, whenever Jesus approaches 
the city of Jerusalem, and his heart is broken. And it says in Matthew chapter 9, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And this is when Jesus says the famous passage of the harvest is plentiful, right? Matthew 9, 37, harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what do we do? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Listen, that's, that, that's what we should do. And so I think it, it's similar. Paul is, is observing the different worldview colliding and the different, like, like much of what is happening here in Athens is indeed dangerous. This is not harmless philosophical talk. Like if people embraced these worldviews, they were primary material, primarily materialistic, right? Some saying that, you know, the material world didn't matter. And so when, when we died, it just kind of all went to, you know, back to deal. Some were saying that everything in the world is sort of God. It's panentheism. Like there's, there's, there is indeed dangerous philosophies that these people are believing coming out of these, these conversations here. And so Paul is not just concerned that it's the other side of the, of the party lines or, or it's this other person that has this worldview that's headed, you know, going to bring some legislation that, that he doesn't like or is going to affect. No, no. Paul is, is provoked because he sees people looking for something in a place where they're never going to find it. He sees people digging for a well and he knows they're, ne- they're, they're going to come up dry. They'll never strike water there. They'll never be fulfilled. And so Paul is provoked because people are on their way to hell. And yes, it's playing out in all sorts of, you know, um, cultural conversations and moments and, and movements. And uh, yes, but, but Paul primarily sees beyond all that. And instead of defending, you know, Jewish nationalism or, Israel, or even Rome or whatever, Paul jumps in with the gospel because they're on their way to hell. So we need to be provoked that our world is on its way to hell. That needs to be the thing that, that provokes us the most. The thing that infuriates us and compels us the most should be that the world is lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. That is the primary thing that is true about our world. And when you, when you look at it that way, now you might actually extend some grace to those people who think differently than you. Why? Well, because, listen, Maybe they, they don't have the gospel or maybe they misunderstood. They placed their hope in something other than the gospel. And so instead of fighting them about that and this conversation up here, we're going we're gonna to take them to the gospel. And so that's our, that's our second point. But we need to be provoked that the world is lost and on its way to hell. That needs to be our primary burden, the primary thing that we're concerned about. Okay, it's going to flesh itself out, manifest in different ways, different movements, different worldviews, different arguments. But the primary issue that we should be provoked about is that people are lost and on their way to hell. That's, that's our primary provocation that comes from in observing the culture. So we, listen, the news ain't going to tell you that. Okay? Likely your, your social media feed is not going to tell you that. You need to rightly look at the world, look at the people in it, and pray that God would give you compassion on them the way that Jesus, there was a song back in, I don't know, a few years ago, that said, give me your eyes for just one minute. Now y'all are going to sing the rest of that, those of you who know it. But that, that's a helpful prayer. 
for us as God's people. Lord, give me your eyes. Because I bet you, Jesus' response is significantly different than the average person on Facebook or even, or even in the church. Like, he has a different response to what's happening here. He, he, we can, we'll fight about secondary things all day, and, and meanwhile, he's concerned that his sheep are lost without a shepherd. And he's, he tells us, hey, pray to the Lord of the harvest. What, and, and, and don't even miss that. He says the harvest is plentiful. We need to hear that, church. Jesus looks at this world, this mess, this cluster, this dumpster fire that we got going on right now. And what does he see? Man, the harvest is plentiful. Why? Because he sees people. He sees people. He doesn't see primary ide- primarily ideologies. He doesn't see primarily political parties. He doesn't see primarily, uh, you know, socialists or Marxists or, you know, he, doesn't, he sees people. And as he sees people... He sees people that are actually longing for something, looking for something. And he says, hey, hey, in this moment, when everybody's triggered and fired up and, and, and like, there's actually an opportunity. There's actually an opportunity. I, and I, I want to harvest. So we may feel like God's morals and his, you know, our, our, our country is certainly like we're done with Christendom. If you didn't know, I'm, I'm telling you. Mourn the loss of Christendom. The days of, of America being a, a, a morally, you know, a Christian moral, you know, country that is based on Christian morals, that, that, is, that is, has gone and is rapidly going away. However, that doesn't mean God's up there fretting that he lost the battle. No, no, he's, again, it's probably some passive judgment. We'll get into that as we approach Daniel. But what he sees is an opportunity for people to actually know what it means to be a Christian, not to be an American who just checks a box because, well, we're Christian, right? No, no, no. People who actually believe in Jesus and are transformed by his love. So Jesus looks at this mess and says, hey, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Don't try to correct everybody on Facebook. Pray that the Lord would send out laborers to reap this harvest. It's got to be us, church. It's got to be us. That's who he's talking to, right? We don't pray that about some missionary organization or, you know, God raise up some new ministers and pastors to do the work. No, no, no. Our job is to equip you all to do the work. We pray that, Lord, send out some laborers into the harvest field. You better be ready to go, right? Because that's us. That's who he's talking to. It's his people. So rightly provoked. And then as we are rightly provoked about people being lost, then we'll be able to perceive their greater need. Okay, so Paul then perceives, it says, uh, as he starts his, his uh addressed to these people in verse 22. He says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, again, Paul is provoked. Paul is angry. The worldviews, the philosophies that they are promoting are dangerous to people. They lead to murderous conditions. You know, like, so again, we need to be concerned. I I believe that, man, never mind. But we need to be concerned about certain political worldviews and they, they will bring harm to people and they are dangerous. However, Paul doesn't start the conversation there saying, you idiots, how could you? He says he perceives something about them. And what he perceives is that they're actually religious. Now, it doesn't look like his religion. It doesn't look like following Jesus. But they are searching. What Paul is saying here is, I see that, hey, what you're doing is you're looking for God. 
You don't know how to find him and you're in the wrong place, but hey, we're not that different because you're looking for God. I perceive that you're very religious. He says, because as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, he says, I found this inscription and it says, to the unknown God. Like that's the culture there. They're so, like they don't know what's true, but they're just like throwing up these Hail Marys of, well, hey, you know, we better pray to the sun God. We better pray to the, to the you know, to the God of rain and the God of, you know, fertility. We better make sure we cover all of these things, right? And there's Greek philosophy that you learned about. All of that is in there. Well, we, we don't want to, what if there's a God we left out, right? What if, what if there's just one we didn't kick up and we're like, oh man, and we get to the end and we're like, oh man, we had them all except you and he's really ticked and now we spend eternity in hell. And so they're like, well, we better make one to the unknown God. Like we'll just, this will be our catch-all, right? If we get there and there's one that we, we ticked off, we didn't mention him, then we'll be like, oh no, no, that was you, man. That was you. We had you. We had you covered. That was the unknown God. That was you, right? Paul says, listen, what you, what you therefore worship as unknown, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about the God that you think is unknown. He's not. He says, the very God, therefore, that made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Let me tell you what you don't know. Let me tell you what you're searching for. He says, you think there's going to be this, you're going to build the right temple or build the right you know, altar, and, and you're gonna, then things are going to work. And he said, no, no, let me, let me tell you where to find the hope that you're longing for. Let me tell you where to find life and salvation. And it's actually in the God who made everything. It's not this God for this and this God for that. No, no, God who made everything. And, and the good news is he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything from us since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything in it. And, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined there are a lot of periods and boundaries in their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps find their way to him. Yet he's actually not that far from all of us. We're going to get to that, the preaching of the gospel in just a moment. But, but we, need to, we need to stop for a moment and see what did Paul perceive. Well, in order for Paul to perceive, he had to be provoked about people being lost and not people being wrong. Okay? He was provoked about people being lost, not people being wrong. Write that down. He was provoked about people being lost, not people being wrong. And when you're provoked about people being lost, now you can listen a little bit differently. Now you can lean in and you can hear from them a little bit differently and you could perceive what they're actually searching for. And when you get there, now you're real close to just presenting the gospel to them. Like that's what Paul is doing is he's observing. He's actually took the time to like walk through and process, hey, what, is, what do they value? He reads their poets, he reads their musicians and he says, hey, I noticed all of this. Well, let me point you in the direction that you're, you're trying to feel around and get there. Let me point you to it. So here's the deal. Here's what I'm telling you. Is there are a lot of people with really, really strong ideas about what's going to fix our world. Okay? And they're in political office, and they are on TV, and they are writing books, and they are in the streets, and they all have really, 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 really strong ideas about what's going to fix this mess. Okay? Now, if it ain't Jesus, they are wrong, okay? But remember, we're going to get provoked that they're lost, not that they're wrong, right? So if that's true, now we can not be so defensive, and we can be a little more loving, and we might actually be able to hear them. Because if we lean in to these movements, people wanting social justice for fill in the blank whatever, you know, intersection they've decided about gender and race, whatever, like, they're, they're longing for justice, 
Okay, well, well, we can relate to that, right? Not that we sympathize with that and go, you know what, you're right. That's what we really need. No, 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 but we can, we can start there, right? People wanting racial reconciliation, we can hear them there. We can hear that justice. Some people just want, uh, you know, human decency. People just want human equality, right? And then I think what overarches with all of these movements is that people want a purpose, right? I don't know if you know that. We're made to have a purpose, right? Again, I quote this all the time, but one of the best-selling books of all time is The Purpose-Driven Life. It starts out saying, it's not about you, right? There's all kinds of self-help books saying, you know what? You'll actually, it's actually good for you to give to other people. You know what? You're more blessed to, to give than to receive. That's how they talk, too. I don't know if you knew that, but but there's all of these people like saying, hey, hey, you know what? You know what will make you feel better? What will make you not as depressed? Care about somebody else. Get involved with a cause. Well, what are they doing? Listen, they're just, they're, they're groping for God. They're groping. It says God put eternity in the heart of men. They're just grasping for it. They don't know where to look. They don't have the, the good news of the gospel. They don't, they don't have that revelation yet, but they're, they're groping for it. They're, they're looking. They're longing. So, a lot of these people get involved in these movements because they're tired of inaction. They're tired of a church that, that just talks and doesn't, that talks about being, as we looked at last week, talks about being pro-life but doesn't do anything pro-life. They're tired of a church that has the good news of the gospel that actually will, will bring peace and healing to racial reconciliation that doesn't seem to care about those who are hurt by racial division. They're tired of a church that just talks. So they're leaving the church and they're going to these movements. They're going to these causes. And some of them have never been in the church, but they're attracted to these movements. They're attracted to these causes. Why? Because they want purpose. They want justice. They may not know what justice means. They may not they have fully formed. They may have been caught up in a narrative by some, you know, whatever. But, but nonetheless, what, what Paul is doing here with these people in Athens is he's saying, hey, I see what your, what your, what your underlying value is or what your underlying desire or what you're searching for. And hey, let me tell you, you're not going to find it there. You're not going to find it there. And that brings us to the next point as we preach the gospel. So we are provoked for the right reasons because people are lost, not because they're mad. We are provoked. And then we are led then to perceive the heart behind what these people are seeking and desiring and, and, and looking for. That same is, I, I talked about primarily about these movements and the fractions in our culture, but the same thing is, is true. You want to talk about addicts. You want to talk about people suffering. You want to talk about people addicted to gambling or to their work. You can, you can look at all of them and go, hey, what, what are you, what, what's going on there? What are you hearing? What, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you desiring? And, and guess what? That's going to involve a conversation. All right? It's going to involve a conversation. It's not just going to be about reading their Facebook post or, you know, hearing that they supported Biden or Trump and assuming all of this list of things about them. That just adds to the division. It's going to involve a conversation. If you're going to truly perceive the heart behind somebody so that you may be able to point them to the gospel and relate to their value, you're going to have to have a conversation with them. You're going to have to get to know them. You're going to have to actually engage them in that way. And guess what? If you just, so here's the deal. I bet you, even though this is a more, you know, conservative area than, than, you know, than liberal. However, I would bet you that most of you have some interaction with people who are politically on a different side of the aisle than you. Okay. Whether that's at work, 
whether that's maybe at a kid's sporting events or in your family, good grief, right? What if, what if you just asked them, hey, what do you think about all this? You don't have an agenda. You didn't come into this deal to correct them, but you just say, hey, what do you think about all this? And then you listen, and you listen, and you listen for, for their heart. You listen for what their, what their value is. What, what, are they, what are they resonating with and why? And then you ask them another question about it. You go, man, I get that. You care. So I, am I hearing you that you care deeply about the poor, or you care deeply about racial reconciliation, or you care deeply about people who are in different sexual sins and, and they're not hearing love from the world? Like, is that, is that what I'm hearing? You ask them questions, right? And when you do that, then you can go, hey, that is a right and good desire that you want justice. That is a right and good desire that you want to see the poor cared for. That is a right and good desire that you don't want to see any image bearer of God's mistreated. That is a right and good desire. And listen, our, our government, they're not going to get it right because you can't legislate morality. You can't legislate heart change. You're not going to get it right. Let me tell you where I found hope. Let me tell you where I have found forgiveness that, that has humbled me and allowed me to approach somebody else and to hope in beyond election. Let me tell you about that. Can, can I just share where I found hope? Not where you're wrong, not why you're an idiot, but can I tell you why I have hope? You see, we, we have to, we, we are provoked and we should be perceiving, but then we have to get to the preaching. We have to get to sharing of the gospel. That whole mess about share the gospel at all times and when necessary use words is, is not true. Because the gospel is words. It is a story. It is good news. It is what has happened. And we need to be there to share it. And listen, we have to, like, we had an overcorrection, right? Because the church used to be all about knocking on doors or approaching people in the street and saying, hey, are you going to hell when you die? Well, no. Well, how do you know? Well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, no, you're not. The Bible says you're bad. Pray this prayer. Receive Jesus. Move on, right? Got one in the, in the check, you know, and we move on. And I'm oversimplifying that. But what happened is the church said, you know, people in my generation said, well, that, that's, that's impersonal. That's not actually making disciples. That's just, that's just breeding this cultural Christianity that's not actually helpful. And so they overreacted. And they said, we need, to be, we need to be involved in relational, you know, evangelism. We need to be super, you know, relational in the way that we approach people. So I'm going to take you to coffee 52 times. And then maybe after I've done that and bought you enough of coffee, then I'll tell you that I go to church and I'll ask you if maybe you want to come. listen, that's nonsense too. People are going to hell. Right? You don't want to buy them coffee 52 times before you give them the good news of the gospel. Again, but you also don't want to start by just telling them they're idiots. What do you do? You perceive, you, you share their value, you go, you know what? You know what? That, that desire for justice, your desire for purpose is right, and I believe that God gave it to you because God made us all. And it was good when he made us. It wasn't always this way. We could tell him that. We could say, hey, you know what? It wasn't always like this. It wasn't God's plan for it to be this jacked up. You know what's wrong with the world? It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's us. It's sin. It's, it's people. And you know how people change? It ain't, again, it ain't Democrats. It ain't Republicans. It ain't this agenda. How people change. How I changed. You tell these people? It's the gospel. Can I tell you about Jesus? That's what Paul does. He goes on to say, listen, you know, your own poets are saying, hey, you know, we're all his offspring. Indeed, we live and move and have his being. There's a spiritual talk there and conversations. And listen, Christianity is on the decline, but spirituality is not in our world. People are more spiritual. They just are less 
you know, specific about that spirituality. It's this mushy, yeah, you should get in touch with your inner self or be fulfilled or, you know, what? there's all kinds of strange what is honestly nonsense, but I've got to be careful because I'm doing what I told you not to do. I'm mocking them. I shouldn't do that. But here's what Paul does. He says, listen, I see that you, you, you get this a little bit. You've stumbled on some truth because, indeed, we are all his offspring. That's one of their poets that quoted that, and he says, hey, you're actually right. And because we're all his offspring, that means he's greater than us, he's more transcendent than us, and we should look to him for the final authority. We should look to him for hope, right? So our great, like the world will not get better when we are all self-fulfilled. That is a lie from hell. But that's what, that's what your kids are being taught. Right? You don't feel like a boy. Maybe you're actually a girl in a boy's body, so you should realize that self-fulfillment and get a sex changed and well that's just one extreme example right but we need to you need to get in touch with yourself you need to you know self-fulfillment that's what that's the narrative behind abortion and I mean all kinds of, of, of strange things are being perpetuated as the answer and it's all like Paul says no 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 if we're all God's children if we're all God's offspring he created us all and that is true he's already stated that earlier he says if that's true then think about this the divine being is not like silver or gold or stone or an image formed by the art or the imagination of man. He says, you're looking in the wrong place. If that's true and God made us all, we should look to him for the, for the answers about our life, for the hope in our life. So we're not going to find God. We're not going to find fulfillment in a social movement or in this, this agenda or this purpose. No, 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 because he's not like that. For them, there was silver, there was gold, there was actual statues. For us, it's movements. It's, purpose, it's this fight, it's this cause, it's this career, it's get here, it's this, right? It just looks different. Satan's quick to evolve his, his strategy, right? It just looks different. But the same thing is true. We could say, hey, God's not like, the, like you're not going to find God in, even if, like, even if what your group thinks should happen, happens, you're not going to find fulfillment. You can point it back to history for that. If they're willing to listen, they're probably not. And that's the deal. Is, is this, is, this is not primarily an intellectual argument that we're going to have. It's not primarily about an information exchange. It's about the power of the gospel. And that's why we have to get beyond just getting to know them. and being, We have to come in saying, hey, I want to hear about your values so that I can share my values and I can point you to something that's not just values. It's a savior. And that's what Paul does. He says, listen, it's not, you're not going to find God in gold or silver, an image or art, the imagination of man. The times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. It ain't a popular message, but it is the message that we need. We need to repent. Those sheep without a shepherd, they don't need some people to relate to them and pat them on the back and tell them, you know, that they're, they're on the right path, you know, and we're all just taking different paths to the same. No, no, no. We need to be told to repent. We are sinners made in the image of God that we're not sinful originally, but we have rebelled against him. And the answer to hope, the answer to salvation is in repenting. That means turning from our sins, turning from thinking that we've got it figured out, that we are the ones with the answers and we turn to him. Why? Because this world is not ultimate. Because all of this, we're on a trajectory to something that is called judgment day. Verse 31, because why? He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world, all of us, in righteousness. He will sort out. He will bring justice. You're longing for justice? He'll bring it. You're longing for equality? He's going to make it happen. You're longing for, you know, 
God has a plan to get us there, but you need to make sure you're on the right side of that plan. You need to make sure that you have trusted in his plan, which his plan is a man that was appointed, he says, to be the judge. And he's given assurance to all of this by raising that man from the dead. And implicit in that message is what Paul has already been teaching there, already been telling there, is that Jesus was born of a virgin, entered into our world to die for our sins, and was resurrected on the third day to be the Savior. And that is where we find hope. That is where all our longings find their yes and amen, find their fulfillment there in Christ. And listen, you're not going to argue way into them understanding that. You're not going to argue your way into them getting there because the preaching of the gospel, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, is foolishness to those that are, that are perishing. What does that mean? It means, well, Paul got mocked. That's what it means. Verse 27, Paul says all this. He starts talking about a guy who got up out of the grave, and they start mocking him. Some of you are scared of that. Some of you tried sharing the gospel once, and you got mocked, and you never did it again. Some of you are scared of that. And that's a, like, it's a very real possibility. But Paul, it's mocked. But, but others, you know, they, they say, hey, we want to know more. And then others are converted on that day. Well, here's the deal. It's not about intellectual information exchange. It's not about reasoning and arguments. It's about the power of the gospel. Romans says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. So there's going to be plenty of people that when you say it, when you tell them about your belief in Jesus, they're going to laugh at you. But there's going to be other people who are going to go, wow, tell me more. Or wow, I need this Jesus. I'll tell you a story one time about this guy we met in a parking lot, and, and his life was busted. His girlfriend was crazy. He was addicted to drugs. He had a bachelor's degree in psychology, but he was working as a, at a grocery store, and he, he was just depressed. And he comes up and starts talking to us, and we share the gospel with him. And I'm thinking, okay, we need to meet up with this guy and talk to him some more. And he was just like, I want that. I want that. How do I get that? And we're like, just pray. And we pray, and we're like, man, I don't know if he got it. We're going to have to follow up with him. The next day, he's like, hey, I kicked my girlfriend out. I'm getting a job. I'm moving back home. I never, I'm not going to do drugs again. And he didn't. Why? Because the power of the gospel changed his life, period. It wasn't my reasoning. It wasn't my eloquent presentation. It was the gospel. And so you don't have to be a seminary-trained preacher. You don't have to be, you know, an eloquent, a good talker, right? You just have to be willing to share your story. You have to be willing to point, to hear people and then point them to Jesus. And Jesus will do the rest. He'll do the work. Okay, so a few practical points. I know I'm running low on time. Start with the people closest to you. Again, don't fight them. Start with the people closest to you. And by that, I mean your kids, your family. Don't forget them, right? Listen to your kids. Like, your kids are, are watching the chaos. They're watching the dumpster fire happen, and they, they are hearing subtle hints from people, maybe on YouTube, maybe here, but they're hearing people process it, and you need to engage with them and help them process it. And beyond that, you need to help them be grounded in the gospel. You need to, as I said a few weeks ago in our devotional, what, when we think about the world that's going to be left to our kids, we should be provoked but it should be provoked to disciple them, not to primarily worry about legislation, but to worry about their discipleship. Because if we get their discipleship right, if we point them to Jesus and anchor them in him, they'll be able to withstand. They'll be okay no matter what the world brings. So start there. Start with your family. Start with who's in front of you, even in your home. Engage with them. Be intentional about that engagement. Um, go on beyond that. Who you work with. Right? So before you start thinking about, I gotta go, I gotta meet new people, who's around you already? Who are you coming in contact with regularly? 
Who do you work with? Who do you recreate with? Like, what, you know, what businesses do you frequent? Do you go to a, the same gas station all the time? Well, maybe you should get to know, you know, instead of just grunting at the, you know, the clerks that say hi when you come in, maybe you say hi back. Maybe you get to know their name. Maybe you talk to them. Maybe you get, hear what is their story and you start to build relationship with them, right? As you go to a coffee shop or, you know, where it is, like if you go to a lunch place, say hi. Maybe go to the same place regularly so that you can get to know the waiters, the waitresses, the people that are working there so that you can build a relationship with them. So what I'm saying is take what you already do and get to know people and be intentional about relational conversations. You don't, because again, if we just keeps us in this, well, that's them. If I can't get to them, I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna fuss about them. Meanwhile, there's people right in front of us all the time that God wants us to be used as a part of their story. And then it just goes on out beyond that, right? Who, who's the next circle, right? Not in your, outside of your house, then in your work, and then in this, and then your kid's sports or your kid's class. Like, who are you around? And then, here's the deal. You could talk about how the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and how it's, but, but here's the deal. There's people right here in Southern Illinois that would love for you to actually help them. That they've actually entered into a recovery program or into a, um, you know, a foster their kids have been taken from them. They actually want to get, you know, out of it. There's kids that, that have said to somebody in their school, yeah, I'd love a mentor, but I don't know where to start. Like, there's all sorts of people that are what, you know, some would call low-hanging fruit. Because if you just picture the people standing on the side of the street with a cardboard sign wanting you to give them money, you're not sure how to get them, you're not sure how to get relationally involved in them, because they generally just want you to give them money. But there's hundreds of people right here in Marion, right here in Williamson County that have said, hey, I'd love some help. I'd love some help. Some, many of them gather right here in this room on Tuesday nights for cross recovery. Do you know that? And they would love somebody like you to just, you're like, I'm not an addiction expert. I don't know. It doesn't matter. They just love you to be their friend. They, they would love for you to hear their story and to root for them, to text them, maybe to go to court with them. Right? You see how when we, when we stop thinking about them, now there's all kinds of people in front of us. There's all kinds of lost sheep in front of us that we can have compassion on and we can engage appropriately with the gospel. All right, I'm away over time. i got to wrap this up. But that, that's church. We're the light of the world. A city set on a hill. This is our time to shine. Not to cower, not to, not to go in fear, but to shine with the hope of the gospel. But that doesn't happen with them. It happens with people. Okay? Let's be provoked because people are lost. Let's perceive those lost people, their true desires, and then let's use that desire to point them to Jesus. Let's preach the gospel unapologetically and rest in the power of the gospel. We, be that, we become that kind of church family, that kind of people. God will bring some transformation to our area and to our world. Maybe even revival. Maybe even another great awakening. But even if not, this is what our calling is, to be faithful in this moment. Let's pray. God, help us. We need it. Move beyond big ideas and them and all of that and, and help us to embody your calling to be your people right here, right now, inside of this church.